Welcome to Mortgage Insider. I'm Claire McPhail, a Business Development Manager at Barclays. In this series, we're speaking to a range of experts to explore success stories and new trends. In this episode, we're hearing from one of the industry's most successful entrepreneurs. Ying Tan previously founded Dynamo. He's currently non-executive chairman of the Knowledge Bank and a non-executive director of PropFlow. Hi, Ying. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Claire. Pleasure. Really excited to be on here. Excellent stuff. Look, let's start this off. I have had a good read of your book, which firstly, I found ever so interesting. So um, that was a real good read. But can you tell me a little bit about, I suppose, your background and your career before you had the business Dynamo? Yeah, sure. Um, I probably actually want to start, um, if I can, very briefly about my parents' history, because I think that's important on laying the foundations of the type of person I am today and the drive and hunger that I have. My father came to um, England in 1959 with 20 pounds in his pocket, as you would have read in, in the book. Um, I did, yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of sacrifices and hardship and uh, trials and tribulations along the road. And I think uh, when you kind of grow up hearing those stories and seeing how hard yeah. they've worked, that's given me the extra drive, hunger and motivation to, uh, you know, be in inverted commas successful. And I guess, um, you know, my career uh, from a work perspective um, really starts in investment banking. I worked for free over the summer um, uh, when I was at university and people were questioning me, Ying, what, what, why are you working for free? You know, you should be getting paid. Yeah. But, you know, I saw it as an investment. Um, and I worked at a, a company called UBS, Union Bank of Switzerland. It was in Liverpool Street. You know, I'd go in my three-piece um, you know, suit and, uh, you know, feel very important, you know, heading into the city. Yeah. Uh, the reality is it was the most junior role you could probably have at an investment <laughs> bank. Um, but, you know, it was free. It got me exposure and I, I got on the radar of the HR and, and management team and they offered me a role uh, after graduation. And, and that was my kind of working career, which started in uh, 1996 uh, after graduation. And yeah. I worked there for a couple of years, moved on to Deutsche Bank and then on to Goldman Sachs, which I was very proud of being one of the youngest vice presidents at the age of 26. Um, yeah. I'm a qualified accountant, uh, so I don't really have your typical uh, background or qualifications of maybe of a typical mortgage broker, but, you know, that's the journey yeah. that took me. Um, and, yeah, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I worked in uh, the front office um, on a sales role, but also in the middle office, more of an accounting analyst role and also in the back office. So, you know, I kind of worked across, you know, a multitude of different disciplines within the investment banking world. But, um, you know, I, I realized it wasn't for me, um, you know, and, and that real telling point, Claire, was um, I was in New York the day before September the 11th, um, hadn't spent yeah. three or four months working there on, on a project and on the training program. I flew yeah. back because my boss at the time wanted me back in the country. And I was like, you know, I've got things to do. I don't want to come back. Yeah. Um, but I did come back. And of course, as I walked into the office the following day, you know, uh, the events that unfolded in front of me on the trading floor and the big screens was just shocking, really. And, and you know, it clearly yes. affected a lot more people far harder than myself. But nonetheless, it, it yes. left a big impact on me. And that was really the catalyst for me to leave the kind of investment banking world. And I decided, you know, uh, you know, if, if something had happened to me in this day, would I have been happy yeah. with what I achieved? And the answer was no. And, and why was the answer no? It was because I've always wanted to chase my entrepreneurial dream. Um, I, coming from a, uh, an Asian background, you know, qualifications were important. You know, you've got to be a doctor, an yeah. accountant or a lawyer. Um, yeah. So I got that under my belt and it was a good insurance policy, I guess. But, you know, I um, went full time into property, built up quite a large property portfolio kind of from uh, 2002 to 2006. 
And it was kind of there really that got me into the mortgage world because I was going to my mortgage broker at the time telling what to do, when to do and how to do. And I thought, bloody hell, if this is the best the mortgage world can offer me, maybe I need to do it myself. And I'm going to specialise in buy to let, which was really, it felt like at that time was really lacking. And, and that was how um, the buy to let business uh, was born, as it was called prior to being rebranded as Dynamo. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, isn't it? And certainly it comes across in the book, the motivation behind why you wanted to set up Dynamo. So tell us a little bit more about that. What was the experience that you'd had? Why was it that you wanted to set up that business? And what was it that you felt that you had as skills wise that would be able to help you grow and make that business successful? That The ethos that was behind Dynamo really is is, is interesting, I think, for, for yeah. people to hear. And, and I, th- I think it's because I was on the other side of the fence, right? I, I was a customer. Mm and I was going to my mortgage broker, you know, and I was paying him £500 for it. I knew, knew later that he was getting a procuration fee and I was scratching my head and he said, you know, surely they should be giving me a lot more than that. You know, I was going there, he would give me the application form, paper-based application yeah. form. I'd fill it out myself. I'd give it to him. Um, you know, he, I wouldn't hear from him. And then I'd be calling him and saying, where are we? And, and then I'd say, uh, you know, I'd get a very flaky response. And then he said, well, okay, well, I was trying to take ownership of it. I'll call my uh, BDM um, and I'll call the BDM. The BDM said they couldn't speak to me because I was the client, you know, and I wasn't the broker. So I just felt like I was doing all the pushing and, uh, you know, and all he was doing was a transaction. There was no relationship behind it. There was no advice behind it. Um, And I just felt it was such a poor experience. And I guess I was at that stage where I'd build up quite a, a mature property portfolio at the time. And I wanted to go back into a working environment, but knew I didn't want to go back working in the city. So I wanted to set up yeah. on my own. And that's where, you know, the buy to let business was born. And I was specializing in, in um, buy to let because that was where I had the experience and where I knew relationships were really important and giving that added value was, was imperative. And, um, you know, I think I often said in a book as well that, you know, it was really key to me that I focused in the early days on specialism and that niche area. You yes, know, lots of people say, why don't you do residential? Yeah. Why don't you do commercial, second charges, insurance? And of course, we did all of those things later, but it was only once yeah. we became the very best at what we did. And I think that's a good lesson um, that, that I had uh, in setting the business up because it's very easy to get distracted because you can make money, you can serve customers in lots of different areas. But you need to be very focused and channeled. And I think that was uh, one of the reasons in the early successes as we were growing the business. Yeah. And 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 certainly I think it comes across the ethos of your business because it's grown. Well, it, it grew that business, which I say we'll move on to what you're doing now you know, later on. But that business itself sort of went from just you, didn't it? And of course, in the end, before that business was passed on to, to Connell's as such, you know, you were what up to 200 staff, something like that. Yeah, well, at its largest, it, when it got when the Connell's, it wasn't quite as large as that, but certainly as, as yeah. largest, which was probably probably about uh, 2018, 19, it was 200 staff. Um, but yeah, yeah, it started as me, myself and I in a small Regis office in Guildford um, where I did every job from, you know, the, clearly the sales bit, but the admin bit to the marketing, yeah. you know, everything, you know, like a typical startup would be. Um, and I grew organically and something I'm very proud of, especially in, in a world where we live now where getting funding is a lot more easier than there may be in the past, yes. you know, with venture capital, with private equity, you know, we grew that business, you know, organically from a very small sum of money into a, you know, like you say, you know, as large as 200 on strong staff. Um, you know, we had 13,000 square foot of office, which Dynamo still housed that, you know, yeah. uh, we, we were originating over three billion pounds of lending. Uh, the business was turning over in excess of, you know, 16, 17 million pounds. 
So, you know, I'm very proud of what we, we grew there um, and, and we never, and, and a lot of that was, you know, not, not to get the violin out, but, you know, in tough years after the credit crunch, I didn't pay myself. So I had to make lots of sacrifices myself, but it was always very much about growth, you know, scaling the business to a size and, and to have that kind of short-term pain for long-term gain. And um, yeah, but I think not to sort of, but but very structured. Certainly, when you read about how you've built that business, you always had a very clear plan, didn't you? Always had a very clear goal. Always tried to set these goals yearly to try and make sure that you took stock of what you'd already achieved. And and certainly, what comes across as well is that you didn't try to run before you could walk. That you really understood at the core what you were doing before you tried to sort of move it to the next level. Yeah, and thank you for that. And I'm glad, you know, you picked that up. I think I think it was, it was really important. You know, I'm a big goal setter. You know, it's very easy to kind of tread water and just kind of fumble along. People set business up, businesses up for lots of different reasons. Some of it's a family business, some of it because they just want to work, you know, self-employed. And then it kind of morphs into something more scalable. But I had um, a very clear vision of what I wanted to do, you know, and it was, you know, to build a, a, a reputable, ethical business at scale, that, you know, ultimately at some stage I could pass on to a, you know, bigger corporate or, a, you know, if I would, mm. could have gone down the IPO route, if, if we'd got larger. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, for me, it was having that clear vision uh, and that mission statement um, and, you know, setting lots of incremental goals to get there. Because, you know, if you if you yeah. look at that big objective, you've gone blimey, you know, when you're just a one man band writing your first mortgage, you're never going to get there. It's just too big, too scary. Yeah. So you've got to have those wins yeah. along the way. Um and, and, you know, I, I'm quoted often in saying it's certainly in social media. You could have a lot of fun. And I think that was one of the best things those 15 years uh, at that time. I was we had a lot of fun, great, really great, great, strong ethos, a really strong culture of belonging. Everyone felt engaged. Everyone felt part of it. And, and I'm very proud of, of what we've done from, from you know, with, from very humble yeah. beginnings and from very little money. So you know, that leads us very nicely on to, to thinking about, you know, what you're doing now. So... You know, Dynamo was your other baby as such, and you've been there for 15 years um, looking after that and growing it. You know, what what now? How did it feel when you left that business? Yeah, well, uh, firstly, um, I've got five children, so I certainly know what it's like to have babies. Um, and, <laughs> and, and Dynamo uh, was certainly part of the family. Uh, I'm not sure it was, a, it was a baby because I guess, you know, I, I certainly would never sell my babies, you know, and you know, the, the five, <laughs> as gorgeous, as painful as they can be at times, you know, um, you know, I don't think I'd sell them. So um, I, I don't necessarily see Dynamo as my baby. Um, I, it was always the vision of, of building something that can make a difference yeah. in, the, in the market. Um, you know, and, and at the time I was, I was, you know, I was 30 years old when I set the business up um, and I remember going to an award ceremony that our industry is so good at doing and, and how very different I was from an age perspective and an ethnicity perspective. And yes. I thought, wow, you know, this is, this is going to be really hard. Um, and, um, you know, I, I invested my life and soul in it, you know, for 15, 16 hour days in the early, in the early kind of years. Um, and, and it was tough and hard work. So yeah, of course it felt like a family, but I always had that vision of moving on. Um, I partially exited um, five years ago to Countrywide. Um, they bought, yep. a, bought, a, bought a share in, of the business with an option to buy the rest of the business. Um, right. And that's when Connells then acquired Countrywide, they also acquired with that the option, which after, you know, to and froing and, and getting agreement, you know, we came to an amicable um, uh, price and, 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 and settlement. So, um, so yeah, you know, uh, for, for me, um, 
it's been absolutely fine. Of course, I miss the people, um, mm. but you know, um, I'm very much believer in uh, you've got to move on. There's no point looking back and and regret yeah. being regretful or anything like that. You know, I'm certainly not regret- regretful. I achieved my aims when I set up the yes. business, um, and I'm very happy that it's moved into you know very good hands. Uh, you know, in a, in a big powerhouse within the both the property and financial uh, mortgages uh, services industry. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and, and and I suppose linked to that where which very much thinking about the future so where do you then see the consolidation of these companies sort of you know those three companies countrywide dynamo connell's coming together how do you see that that's going to affect the industry going forward do you see other companies doing the same thing how do you think that will affect mortgage brokers yeah, great question. And I, and I think, um, you know, the attraction to Dynamo to, to both Countrywide and Connors was our strength on two areas, buy-to-let. You know, clearly we yeah. at that time when they acquired us, we were much more than buy-to-let, but it was still what we were famous for in inverted commas um, and, um, and, and telephony. You know, um, yes. and they were arguably two areas where uh, both Countrywide and Connors are not as, as well established for, you know, they're very much face-to-face um, and they are, um, you know, much more in the residential sector. So, so the compliment yeah. uh, was really good, um, and uh, you know they, uh, you know, hopefully acquired a business which they felt that they could grow and to scale, um, and to build even bigger and better than than when I was at the helm. So, so I think consolidation uh, is going to happen further, for sure mm-hmm. in the marketplace. I think that's a given. Uh, I think there's so much money, VC money, venture capital, private equity money coming in. You know, the smaller companies will struggle to evolve um, as we move, as the industry moves away from a cottage industry of lots of small one-man-man brokers, which, you know, you know, there are, I don't know what the number is, 15, 16, lots, 17, lots, thousand many, yeah. brokers out there. And the majority are one, two, three-man bands. There are not that many. You know, we were at our largest, you know, 200 strong, and with the exception of lots of London and country, uh, you know, in terms of all in one location, because obviously Countrywide and Connells and, and state agency uh, brokers yes. are big, there weren't many bigger than us. Um, and and that, that says uh, a lot in that, you know, I think that, that the industry is primed for, for evolution, for digitization, um, yes, and indeed, um, you know, some, some um, consolidation, because I think um, to, to, to get better economies of scale, to be able to get better services to our customers, to, to be able to get better processes in place, to be able to serve our customers better, you know, we need that scale. And, and um, you know, I think therefore consolidation is going to be even more at the forefront as we've already seen, even in the 12 months since I've exited, we've already seen a number of other transactions happen. Um, you know, yes. so I think that that trend will continue. So you're currently now involved in two businesses um, as a non-executive chairman of the Knowledge Bank and non-executive director of PropFlow. Can you tell me a little bit about the roles that you do there at the minute? What motivated you to to be part of those companies? Yeah, well, when I was at um, Dynamo, one of the big pushes, you know, we built our own CRM system, we built our own IT Mm -hmm. um, and whilst there's some brilliant software and solutions out there, we we built everything in-house. So We'd already, you know, in the last 15 years, uh, whilst we weren't a fintech, fintech wasn't a sexy word 15 years ago like it is now, <laughs> um, uh, we had very much systems and technology at the forefront of what we'd done. So I've always had that mindset. Um, yeah. But I think, um, you know, uh, Knowledge Bank and, and PropFlow, uh, there are a number of other businesses I've also invested in, but they're the two where I'm, I'm reasonably hands-on uh, currently as well. Yeah. Um, but those two are both businesses which I think can really disrupt in a positive manner 
the way yeah. things are being done. You know, if you look at Knowledge Bank, you know, they it's crazy to think that they're only, you know, three or four years old. And prior to that, when a mortgage broker wanted to go and source which the best lender was, they were just reliant on rates. But hang on a minute, yes. before you choose the best rates from a sourcing system, you need to identify which lenders will lend to this person and this property in the first place. So historically, yeah. we'd be using BDMs, call centers, websites, spreadsheets, and you have a multiple of information. And what Knowledge Bank is able to do is bring it all together to enable, yeah. um, you know, a much more easily uh, a mortgage broker to identify which lenders would be suitable for their customer. Um, right. And, and, and that has been truly transformational in many mortgage brokers' lives. And I think sometimes the, the power of what Knowledge Bank does is, is maybe even underplayed uh, for mm. the very relatively minimum uh, subscription fee that's paid. The, the power that that does, even, you know, if I look at it from, uh, from Dynamo's perspective, we had our own in-house one. But without that piece of software, you know, yeah. uh, the productivity and the efficiency of us as brokers would be significantly worse. Um, so um, that, that's been really good. Um, and with PropFlow, that's something a little bit much more early and embryonic. It's only a six-month-old business, but it could equally be quite transformational to the whole property industry. You know, it's, it's almost trying to bring experience to property. So, yes. um, you know, every property will have a score, you know, based on, you know, the, the really kind of the important things, CPC, sustainability, you know, location, insurance, uh, mortgage eligibility, all these types of different things. Um, and, and that will help buyers identify properties which are maybe more suitable for them, but also give buyers score, you know, so when a buyer wants to buy a property, they have a score too. So if you the same offer comes in, maybe you can separate by one from the other because they've got, you know, mortgage and principles agreed, et cetera, et cetera, which should boost their score. So that's something which is far more new and disruptive. I'm, I'm very confident it will fly because I think it's a, a really innovative uh, solution to a, a, an existing problem out there. So, so I think in, in kind of, a long-winded answer to your question. I think technology is key <laughs> to the way we move the industry forward from a property perspective and from a financial services perspective. And, and I often liken it to Iron Man analogy. You know, yeah. is you know, I think robots are not going to dominate this industry. You know, certainly uh-huh. not in the near future, anyway. Um, but what is so important is that you know the the, the systems and the processes are, are far more efficient, and and the technology helps us as humans create better service so we can add value. We can focus much more time on adding value to our customers and our clients. It's ever so interesting to hear you talk about those areas. Do you see the pace of digital transformation continuing like this? 100%. You know, I think, um, you know, I used to go to uh, seminars and roundtables where people were knocking um, some of the, um, you know, digital brokers that were coming on board, you know. um, And um, I think some of that was fear because I think, you know, I absolutely believe that for the bit, you know, if you think about, you know, some comparisons of other industries, you know, blockbusters have been replaced by Netflix, you know, taxis have been replaced by Ubers, you know, and whilst you say the mortgage industry has undergone a huge amount of evolution, there's still so much more to do. And we are so far behind other industries. You know, in my 15 years with Dynamo, it's gone from a paper-based application to an online application. That's not massive evolution, in my opinion. Um, and, and I think there's so much more that can be done. But, you know, there's so many legacy systems. But I think in the last three or four years, with the, the huge injection of money from, from external uh, funds and, um, you know, private equity, venture capital funds, I think we have started to see that motion for change. And all the way from, you know, your big high street lenders to your, your smaller specialist lenders and, and indeed brokers, are really appreciating and understanding the, the absolute need for technology to help make the process easy. You know, duplication, you know, why are we entering clients' data four or five times in the process? It's yeah. madness. 
um, and, and that's inefficient, you know, it's, it's tight, it's cumbersome, it's more room for error, and then we're checking things which we shouldn't necessarily check. There are lots of mundane tasks which yes. uh, systems can perform very amicably and very well, uh, which allows us as advisors to be able to spend more time getting the best outcomes for customers, and that, that's really where the focus should be. Yeah, that is really interesting. And so, Po, I think just to, I suppose, finish this interview, which I could talk to you for a lot, lot longer, um, but I think just to finish it off, if you were starting out now, um, you know, what's the one piece of advice maybe you could give some of our brokers now to help them think about their future? Yeah, and, and I, you know, this may be slightly contentious what I'm about to say here, because, you know, I think in the last two years, we've had a real challenging situation clearly with COVID um, and we've all got used to remote work and we've all got used to kind of that um, work-life balance and, and you've read the book Claire you would have seen that you know my big why my motivation is for the family it's your um, family you know yeah. that that's been my motivation first with my parents and now with my own uh, family but that said when you're starting a business ha- having the luxury of you know um, sometimes doing you know, school run every day and you know rocking into work at 10 o'clock and finishing early and that time you, know, you don't have that luxury you've got to work hard and, and yeah. I, if call me old-fashioned but you know I, I absolutely believe if you want to start out in this industry or any industry you know you've got to work hard and graft yeah of course you remember why you're doing it you know don't neglect your family don't neglect the things that are important to you but in terms of yeah. your business you've got to put the hard work and, and knit and grit and really work hard for it um, but I also think you need to place the clients at the heart of everything you've done, you know, and do. You know, that's what motivated me to set Dynamo up or the buy to let yes. business. Um, and to give that best service, you know, even if you're calling a broker, uh, if a broker is calling a client to give them an update with no update, you know, I used to often say, you know, you should do that because this, you know, a housing transaction, whether it's a buy to let customer or, or a residential owner, it's the biggest transaction that they'll ever spend. They would never ever yeah. borrow that kind of money again. They'll probably never put that any of their own money down on a, as a deposit of that size of magnitude again. It's everything to them. Yet we as a mortgage yeah. broker, they might be one of 15, 20, 30, 40 customers that we have, and, and you might see them as a number. The moment you see them just as a number or name on your to-do list, you, you've moved away from the purpose of what we're trying to achieve. You know, that person yeah. is a real person who's worked, worked really hard to achieve their dreams of home ownership or to buy an investment property. And, you know, you've got to give them the, the very decent courtesy of giving them regular updates, even when there's no update, chasing them, the customer, uh, the, the, the lenders up, the third parties, the surveyors, the solicitors. Um, and, and if system and technology can help you perform a better job for your customers, then great. But, but I think it comes down to hard work. It comes down to you know, putting the customers at the forefront of everything you do, but also surrounding yourself with the best people. One of the things I'm very proud that we achieved um, historically, you know, in the firms I'm working with now and, and in the past is having trust and integrity at the core of everything we do. And I think, you know, if you say you're going to do something, if you want to scale a business, one, one thing that yeah. I certainly try to do it as a leader uh, and an entrepreneur uh, that I am, is if I said I was going to do something, I did it. You know, it's really yeah. simple. You might think, oh, of course, you know, but but too many people give empty promises. Too many p- people commit things just to just entice people in. You know, oh, yeah, you can get a mortgage offer in two days. Oh, the customer's really happy. They sign up, you know, two days later, where's my mortgage offer? Well, it's not even been submitted yet. You know, and guess what? You're on a, you're, you're on a road to hiding there. Um, and whether it be that situation or even promising your part staff the promotions, you know, if you say you're going to do it, you're going to outline those metrics they need to need to do to achieve their promotions. When you do, when they achieve those metrics and you give them the promotion, guess what? You're going to be in far higher more regard than, than maybe 
those uh, other bosses that have given empty promises and that builds loyalty and trust and that's the culture um, if you're looking to build and scale a business that culture aspect is really important and I think that is uh, probably one of the most single reasons why um, I created you know a successful business is creating that real positive energy of culture and that you know if we say we're going to do something we will do it and, and that trust and integrity yeah. therefore follow through. That's really interesting. Look, I think we'll have to leave it there, even though I could talk to you for a lot longer. But thank you ever so much for joining us today, Ying. It's been really helpful um, and really great to talk to you. It's been a pleasure, Claire. Thank you for having me on. That was Ying Tan. The views expressed by our external guests in this podcast are their opinions only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Barclays. Please rate, review and subscribe or follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Claire McPhail. Thanks for listening.